Father God, we just pray and ask, Lord, for your word to speak in this place. Lord, we are not here by accident. We didn't decide to get up on this morning when the clocks are rolled forward to come just to go through routine. Lord, we came today because you have drawn us to this place. You, you have nudged us to be here. Uh, you have created that, that desire inside of us to be here. And Lord, we know you have a word for us this morning. We know you want to speak to us. And so God, I'm just asking right now, will you help us to clear our minds? Things we're thinking about later this afternoon or later this week, work and all the different activities going on of our life. Help us to clear our minds right now so that we can just clearly hear from you. Clearly hear from you. Father, I'm constantly reminded when I step into this time to preach that you and your scripture says, says you use the foolishness of preaching to change lives and to change hearts. Lord, I pray you do that today in this room. Do that work here, Lord. Speak to each of us individually. May we walk out of here today, Lord, and know that we spent time with you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, today we conclude the series about power going deeper with God. And so let me just kind of do the review as we've been doing, and we'll see now if this one-hour time change has affected how alert your mind is this morning. Let's, let's review our, our three main goals of life that's given to us from Jesus. What is goal number one? All right, let's try that again. Some of you guys are with me. Let's try it again. What's goal number one? Love God, right? What's goal number two? Love your neighbor. And goal number three? Love yourself. We get that from the book of Matthew. We get that from the book of Mark where Jesus was being tested. What is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Stop for a minute and just think, how'd you do that with this week? If you just stop and look back over this past week, how'd you do when maybe there was an argument at home in the marriage? Maybe when you were doing some parenting with your children, when you were dealing with a co-worker that was driving you crazy, How'd you do with this whole thing? Okay, I'm supposed to love God. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I called my mentor friend the other day and said, I am so frustrated and I was complaining about a person and I'm going on and I said, am I right? Am I right? He said, well, you might be right, but God gave you an opportunity to love somebody right now. I said, I don't want to hear that. I said, you're throwing my sermons back at me. He said, I know what you're preaching about. How'd you do this week? Because we can get twisted up in this world. And all the stuff that takes place. My husband got mad at me. My wife did this. My kids said that. My coworker did this. My schoolmate did that. And we get all Twitter paid and all twisted up over that. And we lose sight of the goal. We talk about that. What gets in the way of these goals? Life gets in the way. Gets in the way. I mean, there's a good chance. There's a good chance this afternoon. Life might get in the way. Life might get in the way tomorrow morning. Maybe it's Wednesday. Maybe you have a few, few good days. But, but life tends to get in the way of reaching those goals. And as we walk through life, we have learned that we have two choices of how we can manage life. Choice number one is what? Myself. 
I can look at life and I can say, I'm just going to learn how to handle life all by myself and I'll learn it from what my mom taught me, my dad taught me, what my grandma did. We'll learn from other people's mistakes. Well, I don't want to behave like that or I don't want to do this. Or I'll watch a television show and watch some, show, some uh, talk show television person. I'll read some magazine. I'll read some books. I'll read some blogs. I'll follow what's happening on Facebook, social media world, all this stuff. I'll just let it all in and I'll decipher some of it and I'll apply some of it and some I'll just let it go. That is a choice we can make. I would advise that you don't live that way. It's, it's a faulty way to live. It's, it's not going to work at all. The other choice that we've been learning about is how do I put God right in the middle of life through the power of the Holy Spirit? How do I walk with the Holy Spirit? We're in John 14. Jesus said, I'm leaving this helper. I'm leaving this comforter. I'm I'm leaving this guide. So when I go back to heaven to be with the Father, I'm going to send this helper. That helper is the Holy Spirit who will teach us what? All things. All things. Not some things, not a few things, not just kind of a few things. All things. Things that Holy Spirit will teach us how to love. Holy Spirit will teach us how to guide. That Holy Spirit will teach us how to be a parent, how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to operate in this world, how to deal with the stress of this world, how to handle this life. That Holy Spirit will do that for us. And the scripture tells us that in order for us to do this, we must learn to live our lives like Jesus. And we see that in 1 John 2, 6, where the call is to walk as Jesus walked, or to do as Jesus did, or to imitate Jesus. Look what it says in the NLT. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And so the premise for this whole series has been that we hold up Jesus as the mirror. We look at him and we say, Jesus is my model. Jesus is the one I follow. Don't don't look at a friend and say, well, I'm, I'm as good or better than that friend. Don't look at your parents and say, you know, my, my parent, that's one exactly, that, you know, mom and dad are going to fail. Don't look at your boss and say, well, I'm, I'm doing better than my boss. Don't even look at your preacher, please. Look at Jesus and say, how am I doing? And this idea of looking at his life and doing as he did. And so we've been looking at the life of Jesus and this acrostic for the word power. We discovered that the P stands for pray, that Jesus was a person of prayer. The O stands for obedience. He was obedient to the Father. What the Father told him to do, he said, I'll do. And then he was word-centered. He knew the scriptures. And as he studied the scriptures and learned the scriptures, then he was obedient to them. Last week, we learned how he exalted the Father. He stopped and looked at his life and every time somebody said, well, look what Jesus did. He said, it's not me. I did it because my father taught me. My father did it through me. And he exalted God constantly. Constantly reflecting back and saying, my life reflects God. Giving him the glory. Today I want us to look at the R. And the R stands for relationships on purpose. As we wrap up this series today, begin turning our hearts and minds toward the Easter season over the next couple of weeks, Jesus had two very focused relationship areas in his life, and he focused in those relationships very purposefully. First of all, he, he had a relationship with sinners. Scripture, as a matter of fact, even says he was a friend of sinners. So the second area of relationship was that he had his disciples, those who were close to him, and again, Scripture says that he was a friend of to his disciples. 
See, as I get older and I observe how people change, I believe this statement to be true, that all change comes through relationships. You may stop and ponder on that, and you may want to say, well, let's debate that and think about it from this angle or from that angle. But think about this with me just in the life of Jesus. Jesus' whole strategy and change in the world was rooted in building relationships with a few. As you read through the Gospels, you see that he had his 12 disciples, and then even closer than that, he had his three, kind of his inner circle. He spent time in relationship because he knew, as I leave this earth, I'm going to give it to them, this job. And he thought, i got to develop a relationship. The whole theology of the incarnation, that God comes down out of heaven, down to earth as a man, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus adding humanity to his deity to be become one of us, to impart his life to us. Christ knew that life change happens through relationships. That's why God didn't just sit up in heaven. He came down to you and me, and he dwelt among us. The more I study the life of Jesus, and the more I watch people's lives change, the more and more I'm convinced that all change comes through relationships, through the people that you interact with. Relationship between friends. It's been said, show me your friends. Show me your friends and I'll know a lot about your character. Who are you hanging around with? Between parent and a child, that relationship will influence either for good or for bad. You know that. If you were raised in a good home, you go, man, i got some great things going on in my life. And it probably ties back to your relationship with your parents. However, sometimes your relationship challenges today because the way you were raised... And the relationship with your parents has affected you to this day. And so relationships, a relationship between the boss and the employee, you know you have a good relationship with your boss, probably good things are going to happen at your work. If you have a friction relationship, a sandpaper relationship, you know it's stressful and you know it's going to affect who you are as a person. A teacher and a student, how many of us in this room would say, I am part of who I am today because of a teacher that influenced me? A lot of us know that. A lot of us can remember that teacher and go, that teacher was not just one who put uh, assignments before us. That teacher poured their life into us students. I know who I am and part of who I've grown up to be because of a relationship with my youth minister, Randy Green, who poured his life into us as young guys. Spent time with us just rubbing shoulders. Relationships with God and through His Word. As you look at relationships, that's what changes us. And true Christianity is all about relationships. It's all about it. God comes to earth in full humanity. Jesus came to earth for you and me. Develops develops and shows us true love. He's a friend of sinners and He's committed to His followers. God's deep concern for genuine, loving relationships is one of the reasons that the creator of the universe decided to become flesh and dwell among us. He wanted to be sure that we understood this truth. God did not just tell us that he loves us. I'm sure God could have done that. He could have created some other way. He chose to show us his great love by walking with us in relationship. Look what it says in 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
I mean, think about that. That's an amazing verse. All that's packed into that, Jesus, God, God comes down on earth in the form of Jesus to dwell among us. He did not come as a conquering king or a wealthy aristocrat. He could have come as anything. He could have said, I'm God, everyone bow before me. Could have done that. He came as a baby, born in a manger, raised in an obscure village called Nazareth. You know, we would never even heard of or known anything about Nazareth because it was such a little tiny town. We've never heard of it. But because Jesus was born there, Nazareth is a famous place, God had a goal. He had a goal, and his goal was to save the world from their sins. And many people, many times when you have a big goal, I have this big goal to raise the top of the company, I have a big goal to achieve this education goal, I have a big goal to make all this money. Many times when we have big goals, we pursue them to the detriment of our relationships. Not Jesus Christ. Not God Almighty. The remarkable thing about Jesus was that relationships were his strategy. Helping develop, develop relationship, coming to this earth. The God of the universe. I mean, he could have easily rented a big old blimp. Or he could have made something even better with neon signs in the skies that says, I love you, repent and believe. And just flown around the world. And try to get some kind of signal to us. Instead, he chose to become flesh and dwell among us. The Greek word translated dwell means to pitch up his tent in our midst. In other words, he moved into our neighborhoods. Moved in our neighborhoods and hung out with people to develop relationships so people would know who he is. Jesus' ministry strategy reflects the same principle. He didn't rent large synagogues. He didn't put on special programs. He didn't invite people, hey, come and hear me preach. His whole strategy was impacted and rooted in entering into real people's lives. He was constantly going to where people were. Constantly going from one person to another person, meeting their needs and investing in them. His strategy was, was relational through and through and through. It was constantly, how can I be in relationship with People, Jesus clearly understood that's the only degree in which we enter people's lives is the degree to which we expect to enter into them. And as we enter into lives, he knew that, that as I enter a relationship, that's how I will make a difference. Jesus went to great lengths to enter the lives of people. I mean, as you thumb through the Gospels, you just start thumbing through and you look at one account through another account through another account. Matthew chapter 8, for example, the man with leprosy. Nobody would touch him. Not only would they not touch him, whenever someone would see him coming, it was custom in the Jewish history there. If they saw someone with leprosy, for them to yell, Leprosy! Leper! Leper! Get away! Could you imagine living your life? As you go wandering to the mall, hey, there's a leper, get away! There's a cripple, don't bother them! That's what was happening. And what did Jesus do? Walks right on up to the leper, enters in a relationship, skin on skin, and he heals the leper, the, the paralytic who cannot walk. 
Jesus goes and heals the paralytic. The dead girl, Jesus brings back to life. The woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, she just, if I can just touch his cloak. And disciples are like, no, keep moving. Jesus is like, no, someone touched me. And he stops and enters into a moment of a relationship. The blind, the deaf, Jesus entered into the lives of people and touched them even when he was running busy. And the next thing that was on his list, the next place to be, he would stop and spend time with people, even the little children. When he stops and they come and the disciples are like, Jesus, we're busy, we've got to move on. No, 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 no. Stop. Let the children come to me. He had time for people. Because he knew relationship is what changes lives. In Matthew 11, verse 18, Jesus is called a friend of sinners. This is where we see a relationship with Jesus changes hearts. His interactions with sinners change lives. Look at Matthew 9, starting in verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I I love how in the text, the tax collectors and sinners are lit together all all in one. Maybe today it would be like the IRS and sinners. I don't don't know exactly how the text would say, but they're just the ones who were... We're cheating. The tax collectors were knowing people were charging extra money, stealing people's money. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And we see in Jesus' example, listen, he could have, again, he could have stood on top of a mountain. He could have built the largest temple. He could have said, now everybody down below, time to repent, repent, repent. Turn from your sin. And then he goes back behind stage, closes the door, never interact with people. Could have done that. Could have had the biggest megaphone in the world. I can't get close to you because you're dirty sinners. It's time to change. But he didn't do that. He went right on down amongst them. He said, come on, let's go to the house together. Remember Zacchaeus? He went to Zacchaeus' house and fellowshiped with him and hung out with him and spent time with him. And then what do they accuse Jesus of? Why does that guy, Jesus, who's supposed to be the Savior of the world, why is he down there with those lowly, nasty, stinky people who are the, the sinners? Why is that going on? You know, that's what he's wondering. That's what they're wondering about. Luke 15, verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all together gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Can you believe he was with them? I can't believe he spent time with that person. Can't believe he spent time with that person. They're all wondering, this man who is holy is hanging out with the scum of the earth. Why would he do that? Why did the tax collectors and the sinners even want to be around Jesus, I think is the bigger question. Because typically, when someone's living in holiness, then those who are not don't want to be convicted. They don't want to hang around with where holiness is because they don't want to be convicted of their own sin. But Jesus actually drew crowds. I think it's because he understood his mission that we're aware of in John 3 when 
Jesus says, John says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. In other words, the tax collectors and sinners, the, the, the scum of the earth, they hung around because they didn't feel condemnation from Jesus. They felt love from Jesus. They felt Jesus welcoming them. They, they felt that even when he had to have tough conversations about sin, he just said, go and sin no more. But they still felt loved and not condemned. As Jesus went about teaching and healing and developing friendships with sinners, who was with him? Who was wandering with him? His disciples were with him. His disciples saw. He's developing friendships with his disciples as he's also ministering to sinners. And while he's being a friend of sinners, his disciples are watching and getting to know his life. And in John 15, then Jesus turns and says, you are my friends. And so Jesus had this balance. He started, he started with them by first calling them, and then he started teaching them, and then he shows them, and he's demonstrating them what he wants them to do, and then he says, you are my friends. Jesus models for us an interaction with sinners and disciples. What happens in the church is we tend to go one way or the other. Well, we've got to make disciples. We've got to help people know Jesus, walk with Jesus. Let's make disciples. Or on the other side, we go, well, we've got to save the world. We've got to go out to all the people who don't know Jesus, and we've got to make sure they all know who Jesus is, and we tend to lean one way or the other. But Jesus balanced both. I'm with sinners, and I'm with my disciples. I'm helping them grow by being their friend, and I'm helping them know who, my plan and my mission by being their friend. And so a Christian that wants to walk in power has a proper balance of hanging around with non-Christians or sinners and hanging around with Christ followers. And Jesus demonstrates that well for us as we read through the Gospels. Who are the lost friends that are placed in your life? Who are they? The best people at bringing, do you know the best people at bringing others to Christ are the newest Christians? Stats will tell you that after six years of being a Christian, your chances of bringing someone to Christ almost go to zero. The best witnesses, the best evangelists are those who are new in their faith typically because you know a lot of non-Christians. And you're still living in one foot in the world and one foot with the church. And so you have that balance built right in. But what happens is we get older in Christ. We get more disconnected from those who don't know Christ. And that's not how the church should be. Jesus models for us greatly. Why do we get disconnected? Because we lose touch with the world. See, what we see in Jesus is a balance of being with the believers, the disciples, while still interacting with the sinners, family members. Who do you know? When's the last time you made a list? It's actually part of the growth guide this week to sit down and go, okay, what immediate family members need to know Jesus? What about, what about relatives, your extended family, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins? What of them? Because we all have relationships with people who don't know Christ. But sometimes we forget or we haven't stopped to evaluate that. Or your neighbors. I say this all the time, church. Do you know your neighbors? God has planted us right in a neighborhood or right in an apartment complex where you have a great opportunity to be a missionary for the Lord. 
Do you know who's on the left? Do you know who's on the right? Do you know who's across the street? Do you know what's going on in their lives that you can care for them and you can minister to them and you can demonstrate the love of Christ? Do you know who they are? Are you the type of person that, well, my garage door goes up, I pull in, close my garage door, and I live with my six-foot fence? Or do you take the time to purposely get to know your neighbors, your work associates? I understand you go to work, you say, my job is to work. I'm an engineer, I've got to make the next project, or I'm a scientist, I've got to do this, or I'm a school teacher. My job's not to be there and to be witnessing, but you can still get to know your work associates. You still have a listening ear to get to know what's going on in their life, to care about them, and to have the opportunity at some point to share Jesus. Acquaintances that you run into, whether it be a mechanic or the banker or the waiter or waitresses that, that is waiting upon you, our purpose, church, if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, is we're going to have a relationship with those who are outside of Christ, and we're going to have a relationship with those who are walking in Christ. And the healthy Christian has a balance of both. And we need both. We need both. We need, we need that direction in our life. One reason why on your chairs today are cards promoting Easter Sunday that's coming. I encourage you to take these. There's a ton of them in the lobby. You say, oh, I want to take 50 of them. You can take 50 of them. You know, you start looking at the church, and there's all these models that have gone through the, through the years. Being a seeker-sensitive church, being a, being a, a, a purpose-driven church, being a, a, a home church model, whatever model it is that people study in the Scripture and say, well, I see this in the Scripture, see this in the Scripture. Here's the true fact of the message. People come to Christ when one other person invites them and tells them about Christ. I don't care what model you want to follow. The model of Jesus was I develop relationships with people. This is why we do things like this. So you can invite, a lot of times people get invited, they come and they hear the word. And as they hear the word, little by little, they open their hearts to the message of Jesus as you continue to love them. And so we work together helping people know Christ. Let's just dial this, let's bring this all the way back to where we begun. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Looking at our purposes. See, we love God by being a friend to people who, know, who need Jesus. See, a lot of times we think of loving God. I read my Bible, I'm loving God. I pray, I'm, I'm, I'm loving God. I sing songs of worship, I'm loving God. But you know, a great way to love God is to really be concerned about people who don't know Jesus. And when you do that, you're telling God, I love you. You look at the second purpose where you say, love your neighbor. May I be as direct with you to say this? If we're not opening our mouth about Christ to people who don't know Jesus, we're telling them they can just go to hell. That's the fact of the matter. If we're not willing to open our mouth, well, I don't know what to say. That's all right. Just, just start talking. Do the best you can with the power of God living inside of you. But see, if we don't do that, we're not living out our second purpose. It says love your neighbor. What we're doing is we're saying, I don't care about my neighbor and you can go to hell. We have a huge mission here, church. It's not playing games. Unfortunately, the church in America has made it all about a show and all about a game and all about the biggest attendance and all about all this stuff that means nothing. We have a purpose and a mission, and that is to follow Jesus' mission, which is seek to save the lost. 
We love our neighbor by letting them know about Christ. And I'll tell you this, the better we love ourselves, the better we understand our identity in Christ, the better we understand I'm a sinner saved by grace, the better we understand I am not perfect, the better we understand I'll never have it all together, the better we understand that even though I'm a sinner, Christ died for me. The better we grasp that, the better we will be at showing the love of Christ to other people and being a friend of sinners. That's the call of the gospel. Church, I just encourage you to be people of power. Be people who pray. Be people who will be obedient to the Word. Be people who want to live as the Word is the center of life. Be people who are going to exalt God as we look at our lives and we see what God does. We say, it's God doing that me. And be people who live lives of relationships on purpose.